Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Brainwaves. Hear the world differently. Tune in to 3CR Community Radio Wednesdays at 5pm for Brainwaves, Melbourne's drive-time radio show, giving voice to people with mental illness. One in five have a mental illness, but five in five can enjoy this great program featuring heartwarming stories, great information and some laughs as well. Find us at 3CR, 855 on your AM dial. Sponsored by Mental Illness Fellowship of Victoria. Welcome to Brainwaves. Um, on 3CR, the 855 AM on the dial. And in the studio today, we have Dorothy Gilmore, who is a grief and loss therapist and a lecturer at Swinburne University. Um, also in the studio interviewing today is True and Kathleen, and panelling is myself, Kathy. Over, over to you guys. Hi, Dorothy. Well, it's really great to have you here today. We're really lucky to have you in the studio. Um, So my first question that I wanted to ask you is, um, for our listeners, can you give us a backdrop of um, what is grief and loss? Thank you. Um, Okay, grief and loss. Uh, Well, when, when there's a loss and when there's a loss of someone or something significant in our life, grief normally follows with that loss. It can be a person, it can be a thing, it can be our health, it can be a financial loss, it can be a psychological, a spiritual, um, or our beloved pet. And so what happens is that with a loss of something significant, we normally experience grief. And grief comes in many, many different forms. Um, I'd, I'd like to to say that there is no right nor wrong way to grieve. I'm also aware um, in talking with you that um, this this is the sort of um, um, topic that I, I can talk about for hours, but I'm also mindful of the audience and it can be quite a heavy topic. So um, just to be aware and uh, I think... Um, uh, that this you, you may feel a little rattled, but I'll try to keep it as as light as I can, which is um, my way. With grief and loss, there can be depression. When we sustain a loss in our life, normally what happens, and and you might actually um, uh, have actually felt this yourself when someone has told you something or you've you've found that someone has died or you've lost something of significance, there can be the shock. There can be absolute disbelief that this is happening in your world. There can be a sense of overwhelming helplessness and helplessness and hopelessness. And there can be depression, different to a um, pathological depression. There can be anger, intense rage. There can be acceptance of what's happened. All those things, and they don't happen all in order. Nothing as simple as that. And sometimes all those things happen all at once. Grief can be profound. It can be totally overwhelming um, compared to maybe trauma that can be 
devastating. Uh, grief can be overwhelming and it can last for, um, the, well, there's no time frame. There's no right nor wrong way. There's no real model. Does that give you a, a bit of a, a brief on, on grief? Actually, that rhyme too, by the way. I'm sure that our audiences would would appreciate the caveat as well. Um, You did touch on different forms of grief. Um, Can you please explain this further? Yes, yes. This is where it gets quite exciting. Oh, I think it's exciting. Um, With with grief, it, it isn't just around the death of someone. There can be other very, very um, different griefs. And one of them is what I call and what the the theorists call disenfranchised grief. When I'm lecturing um, at university, I find my students are absolutely captivated um, and uh, and become very excited with the thought of understanding disenfranchised loss in, in their life. This is the sort of loss that probably every client that I that I see um, is or has experienced at some time. Disenfranchised loss is when the loss isn't actually recognised as a loss in one's life. Now you're going to ask me to give you an example. So before the question, I'll, being a bit of a chatterbox, I'll, I'll give it to you. Um, it can be around the loss of a relationship. You know, Someone says, "Oh well, there are plenty of other fish in the sea, and um, you can you can just move on and find someone else." But that's actually not recognizing the pain and the loss and the shock and the disbelief and the helplessness that that person is actually experiencing. Disenfranchised loss is when, um, as I said, it just isn't acknowledged or understood. The loss of a pet, you know. Um, it never ceases to amaze me what people say. You know, if your if your dog dies, well, you can get you're going to get a puppy. You're going to get another dog. It's not like that. Um, and the person is really grieving with all those um, the scenarios that I described: the shock, the disbelief, the the helplessness, the hopelessness. And yet, people are supposed to just move on. Um, The other form of um, grief and um, uh, with disenfranchised grief can come with um, mental illness. It can come with a physical illness where one is expected just to to manage and to cope. It can happen very much so with disability. To have a child with a disability can create an unacknowledged grief and a chronic sorrow for the rest of your life. And it can also for the person with the disability. Um, there can be the, dis- the disenfranchised, unacknowledged grief in financial loss where it isn't actually recognised that the person is really grieving and yet we say, well, you know, you can always get another job or you can earn more money. So the other, another type of grief is anticipatory grief. Um, anticipatory grief happens when someone you know, someone close to you is told that their illness, um, it's, it's, it's not a good outcome and the person um, may die. So that person 
can then experience what we call anticipatory grief, which is like a roller coaster ride of ups and downs and backwards and forwards of sensing their life is going to come to an end, next thing they're ricocheted into some hope. The same with the, the their, their loved ones around them, the thought that they're anticipating the loss, the death of that person, and they're actually grieving. And it's always, I find um, in my work, there are two types of grief, disenfranchised and anticipatory, that I like to actually explain to my, my client. It you, you just see the penny drop that what they're experiencing is actually grief. So is disenfranchised grief, is that experienced by, um, is it disenfranchised by the people around the person who's grieving? Yes, it is. Um, it is disenfranchised. It's, it's not um, acknowledged as um, a grief, a real grief. I mean, grief and, and loss and death, I mean, death is such a taboo subject. It never ceases again to amaze me how this thing that is going to happen to each and every one of us, and yet we don't discuss it, we don't talk about it. So people tend to um, tend to steer clear of people who um, might be grieving. And sometimes the client doesn't even know, the person doesn't even know that they're, what they're experiencing is, is grief. They're expected just to pick up and move on. And, um, and I, I think all my, my students at uni all say that they, because they understand this disenfranchised grief, they see it in every single client that they, that they meet in the oh, workplace. Yes. So they learn to recognise it. They learn to recognise it and to name it and to be able to work with it. And it can be very reassuring for the person to know that, yes, they are grieving and that grief will continue. It, it may... Um, um, there's no time frame to grief. There's no... You can't just say, well, OK, my grief has ended now. That actually... If you'd like to hear another one of my um, one of my thoughts is around you know the word closure. We hear it so often that we need to find closure when someone when someone dies. Um, we need to find closure from the pain, and I I don't actually accept that word in my vocabulary. Closure. I think it's more about learning to accommodate, learning to manage the loss of that significant person or significant thing in your life. It's not about trying to shut it down, close it, end it. It's about taking it with you in your, in your life, growing, experiencing, but not having to find a place for it, but just within you. So not having to end it, but to take it with you because it, it makes you who you, you are at the end of the day. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for um, sharing that. So um, so previously you mentioned that um, people are expected to um, cope with grief in society differently, which um, kind of brings me to the topic of males and females. Mm. And um, I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit more about um, how males and females um, grieve differently and the consequences and um, things like that. Hmm, that's, that's, that's a real, I, I like that question. 
Okay, my, my response to that is years ago, um, yes, years ago, and it's always been that men weren't expected to cry, that men don't cry, but, but women do. Now, that is absolute bunkum. <laughs> I'm glad you're smiling because it's, it's, that is just not what it really happens. Our, our, sometimes our, our young boys are, are taught, you know, they mustn't cry, they mustn't shed a tear, they must be stoic, they must be strong. It's not like that anymore. And there's been a lot of research and there's a lot of information. One of our um, a theorists is um, a, a chap by the name of Kenneth Doker, and he has written some wonderful books. And one of them that I got to read talks about the that grief between men and women is not gender-based, that grief isn't gender-based. Instead, and I, I believe this, that if you looked at a, um, a continuum, a long line, with two extreme points, at one end you have male or female, and their grief can be extremely emotional, copious tears, um, the need to talk and talk and talk about their, their loss, whatever it is, sometimes to the point, um, the extreme, that the person is actually crippled in grief, actually crippled in grief in that they cannot take care of themselves. Their grief is so intense and has hit them so hard that they're not able to just carry through on the everyday things that are expected of them. Now that is an extreme. That person would find it very difficult to return to work quickly or to just pick themselves up and shake themselves off and, and get going with life again. So that's one extreme. It's what we call emotional grief. The other extreme of the continuum is, is what we call instrumental grief. Now you've seen people no doubt get up at a funeral and deliver a, a eulogy with, without a tear, with, with dry eyes. Um, you've, you've seen people and you've heard of people who've experienced a loss and yet able to return to work two weeks later and they just seem to, it just doesn't seem to affect them. They don't cry, you don't see the tears. And so what happens is that person I see is shedding the tears internally and it's male or female. Many women grieve that way too. And then there are people that hop from one side of the, the, um, the line to the other side of the line. And then there are the ones through the middle where it's, it's just um, a total, um, it's, it's just the chaos of, of all types of um, feelings and thoughts and grief happening to them. Does that make sense? So I don't see that men and women grieve differently I think we've given them the chance to grieve as they want to grieve individually. Definitely. Mm. Okay, we're going to take a short break now. Stay tuned for more Brainwaves. This is Hey Babe by Bipolar Bears. Welcome back to Brainwaves on 3CR. And today, um, on today's show, we have Dorothy Gilmore, who is here to talk to us about grief and loss. So, Dorothy, before the break, we were talking about how males and females grieve differently. Can you... Uh, can you explain a bit further about how children and adults grieve differently? Hmm. Okay. If we start with children, um, children grieve, and they. We used to think that children didn't grieve. 
you know, when when my beloved uncle died when I was uh, 10, 11, I was sent to school the next day. You know, we weren't allowed to see grief. We weren't allowed to go to funerals. So what was I supposed to do with my grief? When you look at children, you see that depending on their developmental stage and the type of attachment that they have to um, to an adult, there's a lot that's dependent on, on, on this. You'll find that little children, when I say um, age oh, two to, to five or, or six, some of them actually understand about um, death. They don't quite understand where the person goes or etc. But they seem to be able to um, able to say goodbye to people around them who might be going to die and they seem to be able to factor in um, that that is just what happens. When the children develop, especially that age of pre-teens and into teens, developmentally they don't want to know about death and dying and pain and um, seeing parents in tears and upsets, you know, that stage of life, children and, and young teens and into their teens, they're looking at future. They're looking at um, where they want to be in the world. They want a good meal on the table. They don't want to be embarrassed by, by parents. They don't want to be embarrassed by grieving parents. Um, they don't want their life disturbed. It sounds quite narcissistic, actually, but in a way it is. And so they look at grief and the death of someone differently. It can be extremely difficult for them. And at that age, you know, 15, 16, quite often they're, they're thinking um, around uh, the spiritual world and, and what's out there and some of the games that they play. So... It's really important, the main thing with children any age, is to be totally honest, totally honest with what has happened, not to overwhelm a child with, um, with the loss and what has happened, but more about giving them the basics and giving them a chance to ask any question at any time that you will try to find an answer for. And I think it's very important that we don't hide things from children because it can come back to bite us later on when the child realises that, you know, grandma didn't go to the moon or is not sitting up on a, on a cloud in the sky or just gone to sleep. So it's very important to be, to be honest there. With, when you talk too around um, grief in, in uh, couples and adults, that can be quite a minefield. You get two people who know everything about each other, who've been together for years and years and they know they know each other's thoughts. If they lose a child, it throws them into an area that they've never, ever experienced before and they find out they don't know a lot about each other as a couple as to how they might grieve. So they're both experiencing the same loss, but they're both doing it very differently because grief is unique. There's no right nor wrong way and there's no, no one way. Um, it's only your way. So 
if I'm working with couples, I'm very aware of where they're both up to and I ask for them to be very respectful and mindful of the way each other is is grieving. Does that answer that? Definitely. Um, so that's very interesting, Dorothy. I hope that helps our listeners out there. So um, another question I wanted to ask you, for our listeners out there that may be experiencing grief and mental um, illness, could you tell us um, what are the common issues for people with mental health and grief and loss? Mm. You see, this is a disenfranchised grief, I see. And I see the grieving can quite often begin with the loss of health with a mental illness. Some other losses sometimes appear, um, which are, are like a ripple effect and can touch every aspect of that person's life, both for those who suffer the mental illness and for those who give care. There can be the shock, the disbelief, the anger, the guilt, the heartache, outrage for, for many, and the disappointment that the illness they are experiencing actually cannot be totally cured, only treated. Sometimes when I'm, I'm talking with someone who has a mental illness, they, they, they experience enormous self-doubt in themselves and also self-blame. Did they cause this? Where did they go wrong? Sometimes there can be anger at the professionals. Also, they can experience shame which needs to be addressed. Sometimes the experience of shame might be, you know, I've behaved so weirdly when I've been ill, I've shamed my family. And that sense of loss can actually really upset that, that, that person that needs to be addressed. It needs, the, the, the person who's grieving with a mental illness needs to be given permission uh, to embrace their illness and develop new ways to reduce their cope and, and to, to cope and reduce their stress. Does that make... And yeah. to boost their self-esteem. Uh, so, Dorothy, at what point would you suggest for listeners to seek professional help? Um, I think when the person finds that they're disabled in their grief, that they're finding it very hard um, weeks and months down the track to actually cope. They'll never be the same as they were before. When there's, when there's loss, it changes the person and they'll never be the same. But if um, it impacts on every area of their life for too long, they need to talk to a professional and that's what I would recommend. Thank you, Dorothy, for coming on to our show and thank you, listeners, for listening to Brainwaves. Um, if you are experiencing grief or have been impacted by today's discussion, you can contact Griefline on 1300 845 745 or Helpline on 848 64222. You can listen to podcasts of our show at brainwaves.org.au and download from iTunes. Feel free to send us feedback or suggestions for shows via email at brainwaves at myfellowship.org. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for um, Renegade Economist coming up next. That's it from um, us at Brainwaves and this is Running Away by... You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.